go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Friday, July the 21st in the year of our Lord, 2023. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. And what do we do on Fridays? We respond to emails. And we get quite a few emails here. And we really appreciate it from those of you who are listening. And a number of you have some great emails. And this is one of them that I consider very good by Oscar Americana. The title of the email is, The Cross Makes All the Difference. Now, what is he talking about? He's talking about that which is absolutely unique in Christianity. The crucifixion of Christ on the cross and his resurrection makes Christianity different from all other religions. The cross is unique because it signals victory over death and sin, not by us, but by God himself. Now, this is in great contrast to every other religion in the world that attempts to signal victory over your death and sin by your own good works. But not only are your good works not sufficient to offset your sins, but a lot of times you have the wrong motivation in doing a good work. Maybe to look good to others, to feel good about yourself, or even to maybe, well, blackmail God and say, look at God, like the Pharisee, I'm fasting, I'm tithing, I'm a lot better than those tax collectors by the Romans. Well, the cross was a mystery. It was hidden before the world, but was revealed in Christ to set humanity free. That mystery was revealed all the way back to the Genesis account in 3.15, where God, speaking to the serpent, indicated that through the seed of Eve would come a Savior and he would crush the head of the serpent. But in the meantime, the serpent would wound his heel. That's referring to the cross. The fact of the matter is those who were condemned were set free. God's son was executed on the vertical axis of the cross and his mercy and grace came on the horizontal axis to cancel the penalty for our sins. What a message. Now, as we celebrate the death and resurrection of Christ, it is important for us to reflect on the reason for the season and harness and appropriate the benefit of the cross to each of us. In the wonderful hymn, The Old Rugged Cross, 
by George Bernard. He says, How I wish every believer understood the mystery of the cross. Answers to all questions of life can be found in the cross. Even the purpose of life is attached to the cross. It is old and rugged, yet the most treasure precious of life. Now, we declare that the cross is the best thing that ever happened in the world. We ought to cherish it more than all the world's diamonds and gold combined. No glory can be compared with it. The cross, yes, it's the emblem of shame and suffering. Yet it provides us the strength, the zeal, and the hope to pursue the glory that will be revealed when Christ returns. And that's done by the power of the Holy Spirit. The message of the cross differentiates those who are being saved from those who are perishing. That's in 1 Corinthians 1.18. To some, the cross is foolishness. There are those who argue that, well, if he's such a loving God, he would never allow his beloved son to carry a cross and pass through pain and excruciating death. This just doesn't make sense to many. So 1 Corinthians one twenty three, When we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say it is all nonsense. I once heard a made-up story that really helps us understand the foolishness of the cross. It was in an area of Africa where there was a tribe, and the head of the tribe had made a rule that people should not beat their wives. Well, one day a man was returning from work, and he had some alcohol. He drank it, got home, got angry with his wife, and hit her. Well, that was reported to the head of the tribe. And he came before the head of the tribe, and the tribe man said, well, you know, the punishment for hitting life is death. And the man pleaded for his life. No, please, don't put me to death. And so the head of the tribe he looked out into the crowd and he saw two soldiers. He asked them to speak with him. And after speaking with him, the soldiers left and they came back a little while later. And the head of the tribe looked down on the man who was pleading for his life. And he said to him, you are able to return to home. You are free, but do not sin again. Reminding us of the time that the Pharisees wanted to stone a woman caught in adultery, and Jesus saved her. 
and told her not to sin again. And the man looked at him and said, well, how can I be free from what I have done? And the head of the tribe said, well, I talked to the two soldiers and they went and took my son and put him to death in your place. Now, when you stop to think about that, that's really ridiculous. It's foolishness, but it shows how much both the father and the son wished to help those who were caught in sin. And that's what God really did with his son, Jesus Christ. To another group, the message of the cross, therefore, is the power of God. This group understands that the power of sin and death were destroyed on the cross, that the head of the serpent was crushed, that the barrier between God and man was broken, and that the work of salvation was finished on the cross. Doesn't Jesus himself say that in John 19, verse 30? It is finished. Those who are being saved are those who have received the instruction of Christ through the gift of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus told to his disciples, whoever wants to be my, my disciple must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's Matthew 16, verse 24. Therefore, the cross is what distinguishes genuine preachers from false prophets. A lot of times, a preacher might be discouraged because of the sin of his people in the congregation. And therefore, his sermons are always about, you need to do more good works. Because if you don't do good works, you don't get blessed by God. Well, there's no doubt that good works are necessary, but not the kind that that preacher is talking about. You may help the poor, maybe clothe the naked, give housing to those who need to have a place to stay, and yet your motivation is not proper. It may be to make yourself look good or to help you feel good. Proper motivation behind a proper good work is the motivation of the Holy Spirit to do these things because of your love for Jesus Christ. In fact, in Matthew 25, such works are not called good works. They're called fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul emphatically admonished the Christian church in Galatia to be aware of the false prophets who taught heresies and doctrines of men. Listen to Galatians 1, verse 8. 
But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. To understand this clearly, we know the gospel that Paul preached. It's in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. See, Paul knew nothing except the cross of Christ because the infinite grace of God cannot be received freely. It needs to be received through faith alone. And nobody can make a decision to have faith. It is a gift from God. So, unfortunately, the message of the cross appears to be somewhat rare today in many congregations, which calls for sober reflection. There are even people who are ready to celebrate the death and resurrection of Christ, but work as enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. Well, it happened in the New Testament, in the Ephesian church, and that's in Ephesians 3.18. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. How are they enemies of the cross? Because they don't preach the love of Christ, his blessings and prosperity, his ability to heal and deliver. They will say those things, but never mention the reason for them is the cross and say that the responsibility of Christians is to do good works in order to be saved. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine, Jesus says in Matthew 10:38. How can anyone claim that they are a Christian without the cross. It is the cross that separates the wheat from the chaff. We as believers must be willing to deny ourselves certain comforts to please Jesus, the comforts of the world, the comforts of our selfish nature. We are ready to risk everything for him, including being insulted, and attacked when we speak the word of God. If God allowed his only begotten son to suffer for us, it is important that we follow in his footsteps. Remember that both faith and suffering are granted from above. That's Philippians 1.29. Blessed are you, when you suffer, because you become like Jesus, who bled to death to save you. We shouldn't just rejoice 
that he was resurrected, but also appreciate what he went through for our sins by embracing the cross and remembering his words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, why have you left me alone? And Jesus was alone on the cross. No angel as in the Garden of Gethsemane to comfort him. Even his disciples had fled and were in an upper room for fear of the Jews. Jesus even had the women who expected on Sunday to go and anoint a dead body, for they did not believe the promise he had given them that in three days he would rise from the dead. A second email that we received that I think is really very good was from Robin Schumacher and is entitled, Thank for Justice Instead of Asking for Mercy When You Sin. Now, that got my mind thinking because you have heard me say the difference between a just God, a merciful God, and a gracious God. I still believe this, that if God were truly just, it would mean that you get what you deserve. That's what a judge does in a court. He listens to the evidence, he hears the jury say guilty, and he imposes a penalty. And that penalty is to be just. Do you want a God who gives you a penalty for your sin? Well, Robin Schumacher helps us to understand that there is a side of the justice of God that we need to be aware of. She begins by saying, I have a problem with sin and it gets worse. Some of my sins have been with me for a long time. I can recall them manifesting as early as elementary school and would likely remember them further back if my memory was able to go that far in reverse. I could detail everything for you, but instead I'll bubble them up into the main issue. I have a problem with idolatry. And no, not the kind where you physically bow down to some kind of carved image. She quotes Tim Keller in his excellent book, Counterfeit Gods. And she says something I've said a number of times on KFUO. We never break any other commandment without breaking the first one. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. An idol is anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. She says, when I sin, I do what you likely do. I grieve internally and then pray in an apologetic fashion to God 
asking for his forgiveness and mercy for what I've done. But let me ask you something. Have you ever brought the same sin to God for the 1,295,456 time and felt a slight chill go down your back and you're worried, maybe I've crossed the line for the last time and God's mercy is no longer with me. She says she's known many Christians who felt there is a point of no return for a believer who can't shake a particular sin. It's as if they literally thought, well, Jesus said he would forgive 70 times 7, but what happens at sin 491? If you've ever agonized over exhausting God's mercy and wonder if he's washed his hands of you for the last time, she suggests something that she learned a short while back that really helped her. Instead of asking for God's mercy for the next time you fail, thank him for his justice. So when I read that, I thought, well, wait a minute. Doesn't justice always refer to getting what you deserve? But she clarified it according to the Bible. Where our sin is concerned, it is God's justice that keeps us out of the literal frying pan. Let's start with some basics. The justice of God is one of his attributes. God has something we can't inherit, such as immutability, infinity, and self-existence. His qualities are both non-moral and moral, with an example of the former being attributes like majesty and wisdom and the latter being his righteousness or justice. God attributes with one another. And so not only is God righteous and just, but he is infinitely and immutably righteous and just. What does that mean? The Bible says in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 5, the Lord is righteous. He will do no injustice. Every morning, he brings his justice to light. He does not fail. And his righteousness endures forever. That's 2 Corinthians 9, verse 9. You see, there is a difference between God being holy and righteous and being injustice. We are told in Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, all his ways are just. He is a God of great faithfulness without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. Psalm 145, 17, the Lord is righteous 
in all his ways. Now, you would think if he is righteous, we would get what we deserve, eternal damnation. But his righteousness is different than the just gods of other religions who will punish you. He reminds us of the reformer, great Martin Luther, before he understood how God's mercy and justice are intertwined. Here's what he wrote. I greatly longed to understand Paul's epistle to the Romans, and nothing stood in the way but that one expression, the righteousness of God, because I took it to mean that justice is whereby God is just and deals justly in punishing the unjust. My situation was that, although an impeccable monk, I stood before God as a sinner, troubled in conscience, and I had no confidence that my need would assuage him or my merit. Therefore, I did not love a just God, but rather hated and murmured against him. So Luther initially viewed Christianity like all other religions, where mercy and justice are never mated, and instead the worship deity either dispenses justice at the expense of mercy or mercy at the expense of justice. But then through the power of the Holy Spirit, Luther finally realized that Christianity is unique in that God delivers mercy through his justice. What is his justice? God's justice is satisfied, not because I do good works, but because Christ paid the penalty for my wrongdoings with the result being Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the good news of the cross. And it's the good news that KFUO wants to share with everyone in the world. So tell your friends to listen on the internet to the KFUO programs where they will hear the importance of the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm Tom Baker, and we'll continue to talk about this on Monday's program. Until then, God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check out to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod.
If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.